Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. You know, part of our goal as a fellowship, as a, part of the reason why we exist, is to help grow people into the likeness of Jesus. Where we grow in health individually, as families, in God, so where we start looking like him, right? And we are healthy in every way. And we're fulfilling our purpose and his will. And that we want, we want to do what he has made us to do on this planet, individually, collectively, and be healthy and whole along the way. Be true worshipers, all that. And so, you know, part of what we do through things that go on here, whether it's get-togethers, community-type things, ministry that's going on, messages like today, all the things that are going, it's to help grow us into him. And so that's what we want to do today. One of the things I want to share this morning is not necessarily, you know, maybe the first time you've heard any of this, but it's in some ways a reminder I need reminders personally for a lot of things. Uh, one of the things that uh, one of our assistants, um, Nicole, does is reminds me of things that I need to be doing, things I've forgotten, and I need to be re- reminded spiritually of a lot of things too. I find myself, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, sometimes in Christian cruise control. Just going and, some, and it's like the Lord, I shared the story of the Lord reminding me that I wasn't living by faith and how that came about. It was a, Man, that was a great thing because it caused me to make adjustments and say, no, I'm not just going to live in triple C. I'm not going to just be in cruise control. I'm going to, I want to live by faith. I want to trust God. I want to keep stepping out. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today, actually a little bit more. We, as we just finished up Hebrews and we'll be talking about um, what is truth in the next series coming up in September? We have a couple of weeks here. I want to mention some other things. And let me start with uh, Galatians 5.25. says this, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So Lord, we just ask that you'd help us today. Thank you for all you've done already in every single way, from breathing air to you filling our spirit with your spirit, saving us for eternity changing our minds, helping free us, all the amazing things you do. And Lord, we just ask for your help today to continue to apply and live by the faith that you put inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Western society and culture, we have nearly unlimited access to information of every kind. It's amazing, really. And I find myself often, I don't know the answer to something, I'm Googling. I am going on some sort of search engine and wow, or if I don't know how to do something, a YouTube video will show me how to fix something and you know something that I've broken, how to repair it, whatever. It's, it's amazing the access to information. When I talk about the Bible, I've got on my phone 60 translations of the scriptures. You can search any word. You can get what it means in Greek and Hebrew. We have information everywhere. Some really good, some not so good but we have a lot of access to information. God is interested in not just us knowing things, but applying and being those things or using the things that he's, give, that he's given us information-wise, knowledge-wise. 
Of course, we know that. We don't just want to learn things. We don't just want to know things. But knowledge has purpose inside of it. Information, there's, there's purpose inside of it to be applied. If it's not applied, what it does is it puffs up. And it gives us a false sense of security. If I know something, then therefore I am something or I'm doing something. No, those don't all automatically go together. The things that I know, I need to be intentional about applying it or some of the information I need to throw out, get rid of. Some things aren't good that I can hear about um, spiritually even, you know, because the enemy speaks all the time. He's always yapping. So some of the information, whatever he says, we got to kick it out, flush it, as I say often. But then the things that the Lord says and the things that are in his word, it's so necessary that we apply them and get reminded about applying them and, and using them. James 1.22, real, real commonly understood and known scripture, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes if you're just a hearer, information, knowledge, you delude yourself in thinking that you really have that thing or you're doing that thing, and it's not necessarily the same. So this is a, a warning from the scriptures as well. And sometimes there's a great chasm between what we know and how we live. And there's not supposed to be that chasm there. What we know and how we live should be melded together, blended together so that I'm living out that which I know. I think we're held responsible, actually, by the truth that's been revealed to us. Sometimes when I see people in the past who didn't live as well as people that I know are living today, one of the reminders I have is they probably were walking in the light that they had. You know, so not everyone has had the same amount of light, same amount of truth, same amount of knowledge as what we have. But boy, we have... We have <laughs> amazing, unlimited amount of revelation and truth. Well, I guess there's limited amount of revelation. That just keeps coming. But knowledge, there's so many things that we get to. We want to apply it, though. I think part of the description, or at least a partial description that I would give of a religious spirit in a bad sense, a religious spirit being a bad thing, is having knowledge but not living that knowledge out. You know, I've, I've come across some folks and I mean, it is as if their knowledge makes them superior. And you know what? I can be that way too, and I don't want to be that way because that doesn't make superior. How am I living? Am I loving? Am I doing what Jesus has asked us to do and living the way that he wants me to live? That's much more important. 1 Corinthians 1.8, that last half of that says, knowledge makes arrogant, but love, it edifies. So remember... Um, the Israelites, Hebrews, when they were enslaved for hundreds of years in Egypt, the Bible says 430, though not all of that was all there in Egypt, but enslaved to some other things. It's a long time, hundreds of years. And it was time for them to be free. And the reason it was time for them to be free was that they started crying out. And the Lord says, I heard their cries. And he raised up Moses, had been planning on this. He knew they would be crying out at some point. Sometimes it takes a while. You have to be sick and tired of being enslaved to cry out before help comes. And that was the case in, with them. By the time they cried out, the Lord said, yeah, I've got someone ready to help you. And he raised up Moses, sent Moses 
Everyone knows the story. He goes there not only with a message for Pharaoh, but he, he goes there with power. And he didn't know exactly what was gonna happen here, but 10 plagues were gonna take place as Pharaoh's heart got hardened. And through all that process, we get to the 10th plague. We've done a whole series on this. Um, and at the 10th plague, right before that happened, the Lord said, Moses, I want, to, I want you to share with the Hebrews, with the Israelites that I'm about to set free, something that will help them stay protected before I release this plague. You remember that, right? Exodus 12, verse 22 says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel, and he said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs. So he's telling all the leaders, tell every single Israelite this message. Take everyone, take a lamb. You got to buy one if you haven't raised one. Get one according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. This is where the Passover began. This Passover celebration was this event. Verse 22, you shall take a bunch of hyssop. Just grab a bunch of it and dip it in blood, which is in the basin, and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. So each family had to take an unblemished lamb. They had to take it, they had to kill it, slice its throat, the blood pours out, keep, catch the blood, have it in a basin, and then you're to cook the lamb, every part of it. Whatever you don't eat, you got to burn it. So they roasted pieces of lamb. Everybody is eating this. And then they've got over there a bowl full of blood. And he says, with that bunch of hyssop you've got, I want you to dip it in the blood. In other words, this is your paintbrush. Dip it in the blood and apply it on the sides of the doorposts and over the top and on the other side, in fact, um, hyssop, we can throw that first photo up there if you've got it. It's a beautiful plant. It's called, a, it's a shrub really. It's got healing properties. It's been known for generations after generation of having, helping intestinal stuff, um, attacking cancer, many other things, healing properties in this shrub. But when it's dried, it looks like this. It's all dried out and there's a bunch. So what they grabbed was something looked probably like that, and they dipped that, since they didn't, couldn't go to Sherwin-Williams or Home Depot and grab a paintbrush, this was it. So they grabbed that and put it over the doorpost. You can put that last photo up. You got, in this, you got uh, well, drawing, I guess. This child holding the, the basin of blood, his dad uses that hyssop and puts it over the, the door. The hyssop, this medicinal plant, beautiful, represents faith. Represents faith to us. See, everything that was done before, the Bible says, is a shadow, and it speaks to what happens in the future. Of course, we know about the Passover lamb. That's where we get the Easter celebration. We get, um, or just before the Easter celebration. And then we understand about the blood of the lamb, but hyssop is really important in this in that having a basin of blood just in the house, in this case, would not have benefited them. 
they had to do something with it. There were directions, and the, and the directions were, you have to apply it. In other words, this may not make, a, in Southern terms, a lick of sense. But grab a bunch of hyssop anyway and dip it in there and put it over your door. I mean, that's crazy sounding. I mean, if I just told you go get you know, some sheep blood and put it over your door, that just doesn't make sense. The ways of the kingdom don't often make sense. The things that God has done don't often make sense to us in our natural mind. But I'm telling you what, if you do it, if you do them, if you apply them, we're gonna talk more about that, it makes a lot of sense. Because there is power and there is help and there are things that, there are God's ways that we step into. And things are so different. That's why we don't, we gotta um, reject that worldly mindset and receive the Lord's ways of doing things, no matter what it is. And that blood would not have had effect had they not applied it. I've got a bunch of paint and a bunch of paint cans in my garage right now, and my walls know nothing of them. Right? At some point, I've got to pop that can open, stir it up, get a paintbrush, and start applying it. Does mean no good in my garage. And again, this is a picture. This is a picture of the blood of Jesus, of how we apply what has been done for us. God provided the hyssop. He provided the sheep. He provided the perfect sacrifice. He provided the blood. But he says, you got to do, we have our part, which I'll get to in a moment. We've got to apply. And this, it really does, if, even just saying these things, okay, imagine yourself not a Christian for a second. I know it's horrible. <laughs> but really, just for a moment, when you, I, and you and hear these words like repentance. Repentance, like recognizing that you are a sinner and turning from that, owning it, taking full responsibility. That's counterculture to take full responsibility for anything. That's an odd thing in the world, right? But repentance Prayer, that seems weird. You're praying to an invisible being. Praise, worship, what we just did. I mean, they think you're wacky. If people just walked in here today, earlier. Dancing before the Lord. Partaking of communion. Water baptism. Forgiving everyone, everyone, no matter what they've done to you. Tithing. Giving to others, preferring other people, counterculture, opposite of the world. Being filled with the Spirit, praying in the Spirit. Sounds wacky. See, everything that God does is right side up and everything in the world is upside down. But his kingdom and his ways are the way to live and, be, and have an abundant life abounding life, full of life, make good decisions, stay free, not have venereal diseases, right? You do things God's way and there's protection. There's wholeness. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The word of the cross, the gospel, 
of Jesus Christ that you cannot be good enough to save yourself. It's foolishness to the world. But to us, whew, it's the power of God. I love that foolish message. Thank you for that foolish message, Lord, that you've given to us to believe. It's full of hope and life. Four years ago, I was um, reading an article that happened again. I don't know how I read it, some sort of news feed. But it was a story of a man named Mick Myers out in the San Francisco Bay Area who is a homeless guy. And he's out there in a place where he wasn't supposed to be begging, begging. He'd been doing it for a long time. Police officer went up to him and he'd, and he'd seen him many times and many times had told him to quit begging. It was illegal in that area. And so he's out on his beat. He sees this guy again. There's Mick. And he's, he thought, I, I've got to write this guy a ticket of some kind. He, it just, he, he keeps doing what he's not supposed to be doing. But be, instead of writing the ticket, he said, let me ask him a couple of questions. Let me engage him in some conversation. So this police officer said, uh, hey, Mick, he said, um, how old are you, by the way? He said, I'm 67. He said, well, why aren't you collecting Social Security and have a place to live? How about medical care? Why don't you, why don't you, uh, you, know, why don't you apply for Medicaid or Medicare? I forget which one's which. And he said, well, I, I lost my ID. I don't have any ID and I can't apply for anything. He said, well, how'd you lose your ID? And so he tells him the story. He'd been a trucker, drove trucks until he was in his mid-30s, somehow lost his ID, had a bad stretch of life, loses his house, ends up on the street. And for 30 years, he's been living on the street begging. 30 years. The police officer says, well, Mick, let's find a way to get you your ID. So he... the this police officer and his pastor start working. The pastor creates some letters saying, I know about this guy. Yeah, he doesn't have two forms of ID to get him a, another ID or a, an address, but I know that he's been in this county for 30 years that I've seen him. So he writes these letters. The police officer helps. They get him an ID. The story gets out a little bit, and another guy they know says, I want to find out some more about this guy and try and help him because they realized that he was adopted. Mick was adopted. His birth, excuse me, his adoptive mother had died. The only family he knew, she died. So he had no family, homeless, 30 years on the street. So this guy starts looking into Mick's background and finds, with Mick's permission to search, that uh, his birth mother is still alive. She's 85. Didn't know she existed, lives 300 miles away. Another guy gets involved with a little airplane and flies Mick on a plane up to meet his birth mom for the first time in his life. And there are pictures of this. You can look all this up. There are pictures of them holding each other. She was 16 when she got pregnant for the second time and could not handle raising this child, so put him up for adoption and always had wondered about him. And all of a sudden, Mick meets his mom, and in the house, when they go, and the police officer with, was with him as well, there are nieces and nephews, there are sisters and brothers, there's family he did not know he had, all in the house, wanting to get to know him. 
He applies for Social Security. He applies for Medicaid. He has a family. He feels loved instead of alone. All of these things were completely accessible to him, waiting for him to partake of, enjoy, have a part in, but he just sat homeless begging. He did not, at that point in his life, pursue enough, or however that works, to get what was available. And when I think of, of this, there's a passage, says in 2 Peter 1.8, think about this, this is in the Amplified, for his divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary, a dynamic spiritual life and godliness. He's bestowed on us everything that has to do with life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by his glory, his own glory and excellence. And then in John 3, excuse me, John 8, 36, it says, if the son makes you free, you know the scripture, you'll be free indeed. The son makes free. The son has provided everything pertaining to life and godliness, everything. But having it prepared, having it waiting is like blood in a basin. We've got we've to apply. We've got to dive into it. We have to make, take action with what we know and receive what has been prepared for us. We've got to walk in it. And sometimes it's a discipline. By discipline, I need to discipline my mind to receive what Jesus has done. I need to discipline my spirit to not get filled and dwell on cruddy stuff. I need to believe not only what he has said and who he is, but I need to receive what he's done. I need to dip my paintbrush in there and apply over the doorposts of my heart and life his blood and cleansing, and over my physical house too, by faith. You don't have to go dip some red stuff and put it on your doorpost, but by faith we do this. I mean, every house we've ever been in and purchased, man, that one of the first things we do is walk around that place and by faith in Jesus' name, apply the blood of Jesus to these, over these doorposts and around the corners of our property and say, this is mine now, thank you, Jesus. Now we ask for your protection. You'd cleanse this place. By faith, applying the things that, it's that are available to us from Jesus. I've met many believers in my life as a pastor and before that who were angry, angry at God. I expected to be a millionaire by now. I expected to be in ministry by now. I expected this to happen and it didn't. In fact, I had this bad thing happen. I mean, ugh, God. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's not gotten me to where I should be, all those things. And oftentimes, part of it is that people aren't doing their part. There's God's part, and then there's our part. He's faithful. He is made available. But I have to do my part. It's not just up to God to fix everything, though he could in a second. You've heard me say this many times, but I mean, think of every problem in the world right now. He knows the hair on everybody's head. He knows the thought in every mind around the world right now. 
And he could, in a second, fix every problem in the world. Bam. He doesn't do it that way. He chose not to do it that way. He chose to partner with you and I in this world to help bring his kingdom. He chose to partner with you and I who have faith to believe him and trust him and receive from him and take action to do things in the world and to push darkness away and to bring light. As Jesus said, I'm the light of the world while I'm in the world, but you are the light of the world. He gets what he calls us. Jesus did. So God has chosen to do it differently than I would do it. But he wants us to participate. We participate in many ways by our faith. We participate in our action. We participate by applying what we read to our lives by faith. Receiving it. If he says, I can have a sound mind, then I receive a sound mind by faith right now in Jesus' name. Your mind for mine. I'm going to make a transaction here by faith. It makes no sense. It seems foolish. Seems foolish, but it is not. It is real. You want a sound mind? Receive it. Make a transaction. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Do you feel weary? Do you feel heavy laden? He said, here's here's the solution. Come to me. Exchange with me. Give me your heaviness. I'll give you what I have. Lightness. Freedom. I like to set free. Give you peace. But you know what? So many times we can walk around or live a certain way without looking up. Debbie and I were walking through the woods yesterday, and I thought, you know, we as a culture so often quit looking up. I was looking at these trees that were spectacular and so tall, and we're usually looking down. (laughs) When I look up, now I see what he's made, whoo, I realize, oh man, there he is. He's, He's made the clouds, he's made the trees, he's made me. He's available 24-7, 365. If we feel like he is far, then what we need to do is come near because he's not really far. He says, come boldly before the throne. Invitation. We can boldly come before the throne. How do we do that? We do it by faith. We get our hyssop out. We get our hyssop out. And use faith to apply what he has given to us, what he's invited us into. What does that look like? The kids are having a great time up there. (laughs) And how do I access this stuff? It means that I don't, I do my part. I don't just wait for God to do everything. He's done it. Man, how about those words on the cross, right? It is Finished. It is finished. Now, use your hyssop and access what I have done, what I have given, Jesus would say to us. And I've recognized in my personal life that the supernatural rarely happens when I'm not moving. But the supernatural happens when we step out, when we move. I heard a comedian say this one time, He said the first two letters in God's name is G-O, and the first three letters in Satan's name is S-A-T, sat. (laughs) There's something about the nature of a believer that just goes. 
that moves, that believes. You know, I, I've prayed for many people to get healed. Some have and some haven't, but not a one of them got healed that I didn't pray for of those. I mean, I had to step out. I didn't just think about it. I had to actually do something. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not saved by that. It has nothing to do with that type of works. Salvation is completely free. We all know that. 100% free. You receive it with your hyssop, by faith. But if I'm going to see the application of what Jesus has purchased for me happen, I've got to be like that family that dips it in the blood and applies it. Says, yes, there's something. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be good. We step out. We engage God. We believe the best about him. It means honoring him with the first and best of all that he's given to me. When you give, that's a stepping out. You know, when you give a tithe, when you give of what you have, there's some faith that needs to be involved. And we're trusting God with that. Said, I don't understand this. It's foolishness to the world for me to give to a church or to give to God. But guess what? God's not to him. It means when I sin, I do wrong, I fail. I bring that to Jesus and I apply his blood to my sin. And I still do this often and hopefully you do too. When you, when you fail, when you sin, repent and, it's, and be in that room of where there's this blood. I picture it sometimes just washing over me, cleansing my heart, removing it entirely, not covering it, removing it entirely. And now I'm free as if I had not done that. That's, that's, you do that by faith. Only hyssop works in that area because you don't necessarily feel something, though you might feel a little better after, but it's just not about feeling. It's about believing. I'm cleansed. If I have cares and I have anxiety, I'm waiting for God to take them away. Waiting for God to take them away. I'm waiting for God to take them away. I'm waiting for God to take them away. 1 Peter 5, 7 says what? Cast them away. Cast all of your cares on Jesus. His part is he'll take them away. My part is I have to cast. I have to cast on him. I can't just wait for him to come and lift them off. I need to give them away. This care has gotten on me. You know what? Part of our lives, I might yell, <laughs> is being ruthless with stuff and not putting up with some things and not just waiting for God to do stuff. Part of this life has a violent nature to it of being ruthless with sin, being ruthless with it. How about Hebrews 10 says something like, you've not striven to the point of shedding blood against your battle with sin yet. Whoa. There's something about I need to be ruthless with, and especially this one, with the voices of the enemy that come to you and whisper things that are not true or bring doubt to you about God. You have to be, if you're not ruthless with that, that thing will land like a leech and it will start sucking the life out of you. Next thing you know, that thing gets full and you're empty. We have to deal with stuff in a very intentional, ruthless way that are the things of the enemy. And, and apply the word of God wherever it's needed. 
Believe it. Dip in here. Apply it. Get ruthless. I talk to myself in the mirror sometimes. I really do. Close the door, turn the fan on, make a little noise, start talking to yourself. Matt Peterson, that guy behind those eyes, you're not going to live this certain way, you're, you, but you are going to live this way because this is who you are. You're a son of the king of kings. You're a son of the father. So you, this is how you're going to live. I'm applying. That's applying right there. That's not just knowing information. Apply what Jesus has done. Not just know about it. Oh, man, I've battled. It's been so frustrating sometimes. Battling. I remember speaking at this one wedding, and this guy came up to me at the end of the wedding, and all he did was say to me, you know, I'm from this church, and I believe this. Tell me what you believe about that thing. And it was a thing that meant nothing. It's like he wants to compare his knowledge with my knowledge and let's have a clash with knowledge. No! That is, it's not about that. It's not about that. I want to apply faith with the knowledge that he's given to me and live. I want to live, it's being authentic. It's being real. And you, then there's life there. It's faith. You can feel it right now. The spirit responds to faith. When you take what he says and you apply it and you live it. Not just brain information. We are not called to be roving libraries. Mobile libraries with information. We're called to be the light of the world. Sons and daughters. Children of the king. And he wants us free. He's paid for our freedom. Where I'm not free, I want to apply his freedom to my non-freedom. So I'll be free. It means that I actually pray, actually seek God, actually praise him, actually love other people, actually forgive. Forgiveness can be one of the toughest things in the world, but it's freedom for you and them. We can't, we can't uh, tiptoe around it, can't avoid it. Have to forgive. If you don't forgive, you're bound. You're bound. You're bound to whatever happened to you to torment you. That's what unforgiveness does. It's a tormentor. Freedom means I choose to forgive. I just applied the blood of Jesus to me and them. And phew, there's freedom. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.